This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. Welcome to the second episode of Food for Thought, the Devil's Advocate's Perspective, which is a podcast, actually a friendly conversation on the stuff of life, society, politics, philosophy, the noise inside my head that hopefully you can relate to, and my favorite, the freakish coincidence of just being alive. I'm Shreya, and today we'll be talking about what everybody's talking about in one way or another, climate change. I have with me today Eduardo Souza Rodriguez, who is an assistant professor at the University of Toronto. Uh, Eduardo's uh, research agenda lies at the intersection of environmental economics, industrial organization, and econom econometrics. And exactly why I asked for his presence with me today, because I want to talk about the intersection of the environment, climate change, and economics. So Eduardo, thank you so much for uh, joining me here today. Thank you for the invitation. It's my pleasure. <laughs> glad you could glad you could make it. Mm -hmm. um, so Eduardo, as you know, I recently wrote an article for um, Open Democracy's economy section on why the economy, the economic uh, current economic system needs to evolve if we're to address climate change. Um, and I interviewed you for it. Um, so we're we're just going to be taking that conversation forward. Mm -hmm. So when I was writing that article. I think one of the main things I struggled with was the concept of economy, which sounds strange, perhaps, because uh, I I make transactions in this system every day, uh, you know, just by buying something or selling something or by being a member of the workforce. But when I sat down to write it, I was like, what is this, you know, what is this capitalist economic system that I'm living in? What is GDP that every everyone seems to be talking about? Um, and how does it personally affect me? You know, so um, maybe this just to dumb it down for me and for uh, maybe dumb it down is not the correct word, but can you briefly tell me what exactly this ideology of a capitalist economic system is that we're currently living in? Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good question. The ideology. Um, well, the, the science of economics, as uh, I believe you do know, and uh, most of the people do know, I uh, started with Adam Smith in the 17, uh, late 1700s. And uh, uh, what he was uh, pretty much uh, uh, impressed by was that how is it possible that an entirely decentralized system seems to be working somehow? And uh, it sounded like a miracle. I mean, the example he, made, he gave was um, <clears throat> excuse me, was, well, I wake up in the morning, I want some bread, I go, uh, I walk down the block, and there's a baker, there's a bakery there, and the baker just produced the bread that I want, I don't know the guy personally, I haven't asked the guy yet, what I want is right there, I just have to pay it. So, somehow, people making decentralized decisions, thinking about their own lives, um, somehow the coordination happens and, and the product is available. So he called that the, the, the famous uh, invisible hand uh, as if it was coordinating. 
uh, across the different decisions uh, that people make. So the real surprise there, and I believe he was truly surprised when he realized this, is that uh, uh, we mine of our, our, our uh, own business and somehow we are able to, uh, to manage to satisfy our needs. Yeah. Uh, with no central government deciding who should be consuming what. I mean, econ economics is basically a problem involving the allocation of resources. Who is going to produce what, how much, and who is going to consume those services and products? And uh, this allocation problem can be uh, solved in many different ways. There might be uh, a central planner deciding who is going to do and what, and, who is going, and how the products are going to be distributed. In a market economy that we live in today, you don't have, well, we have, we have the government, but uh, most of these decisions are, are taken every day. Whenever you go to the market and you make a decision, those decisions are, uh, are implemented every day, every hour, and somehow coordination happens. And it's almost like a miracle, actually. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, but it's very interesting that, you know, I live in a world as is everybody else, where we're told that success is equivalent to a lot of money. You know, mm -hmm. the easiest way to believe that somebody's successful is when, uh, you know, they live in a big house, they drive right. a fancy car, uh, they mm -hmm. wear branded clothes, perhaps. Um, and yeah. I suppose if I, uh, in the micro sense of the world, uh, if I'm in the bigger picture, success then is profits, right? And um, and somehow GDP has become the marker of a country's success, um, even though there have been many um, indicators that GDP actually um, ignores many many other aspects of society. Happiness, that's, health, fertility. That's definitely true. It ignores many, many things, but it also measures many, many important things as well. <clears throat> GDP measures, GDP is, well, the important concept is actually not just the, the GDP, it's the GDP per capita. So the GDP measures uh, what everybody in a given country produces, and it includes, it's not just physical production, it's services as well. And <clears throat> And all of those things we're able to produce, if, you, if you, you were able to equally divide this whole thing among everybody living in that country, that's going to give us an idea about the living standards of a country. The higher that level, the better the living standards. So GDP matters, if not for anything else, at least for us to escape poverty. So richer countries, countries that grow continuously and, uh, and faster over a long time period, are those who are more able to eliminate poverty. But that's uh, debatable because mm -hmm. um, as like if I look to um, if I look towards let's say countries like India or mm -hmm. parts of Africa as the GDP of India for example has grown it's one of the fastest growing economies in the world. Um, I, I, I think it's I believe it's growing at eight percent mm -hmm. uh, per year. However, um, while many people have been lifted out of poverty, the, the inequalities have become deeper. So there is that, there's always that nuance, I believe, to GDP that 
sure it may you know lift people out of poverty but it also increases inequality however but i know i'm totally interrupting you there but um what i what i really want to get into is what is right now what is the relationship between capitalism the fact that countries still want to grow mm -hmm. despite having reached saturation point especially uh in this part of the world where we are in uh toronto um you know they still want to grow but how is infinite growth possible you know in a in a plant on a planet which only has so many resources Difficult question, Francis. <laughs> I have to start over there immediately. It's it's unclear if we can achieve infinite growth. This is the old idea by uh, by Thomas Malthus. Uh, we have limited resources. As we keep growing, uh, we will eventually reach some limitations given by the environment itself, and that's going to impoverish us all. It turns out that uh, that has not happened yet. And that's because, well, part is because of uh, technological advances that allows us to do more with the same amount of resources. So that's one of the reasons why technological advances is so important. Can that's, you give me an example of uh, how we are doing more with the same amount of resources? In general, that's exactly what productivity means. It means uh, we have either we do more with the same resources or we do the same thing less costly. Uh, the example I like, it has to do with time, because I think time is the ultimate resource uh, limit that we face, and we only have 24 hours a day. And now we're all gonna die. So, <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. More of a thought, but yeah. yes, so we are. So time is limited, so time is the most valuable thing. And uh, so the type of uh, technology advances that allow us to do more with the same amount of time that we have are, uh, uh, well, we have many examples out there. Uh, uh, microwaves, uh, washing machines, the internet, access to many libraries by a distance of a click, all of those things uh, uh, reduce the amount of time that we need in order to have some task to be accomplished. So for example, in the past, in the 50s and 40s or before that, you can imagine how much time it was required to set your, fire, your house clean. Nowadays, which it's much sure. Yeah. Of course. I mean, it would be um, ignorant for me to dismiss what we have achieved because of mm -hmm. uh, this profit-making incentive. Everyone mm -hmm. wants to make a big buck, and it's wherever there's a vacuum for um an amenity or a resource or a service you know mm -hmm. um of course i'm going to jump in and try and occupy that space so i can make a big buck it would be wrong for me to dismiss that however um i feel that we have reached a point where climate change can no longer be denied it has become I our cannot. biggest ex existential threat in the yeah. face of it yeah. there's no denying that where that the planet is getting warmer. There's no denying that our oceans are getting more acidic. There's no denying- You're entirely right. Yes. There's no denying that mm -hmm. other life sources are getting obliterated. Mm -hmm. um, in the face of this uh, quote unquote existential threat, don't we, isn't it about time that we reimagine the way we exist on this planet without, without a profit making incentive driving us? 
Yeah, there are many things you, you raised in, the, in your question. <laughs> One of them is... I hope, uh, I hope you will remember them. <laughs> I, I will try my best. I, I was just rambling. <laughs> yeah. No, I will try my best. Uh, I mean, you raised a number of important uh, issues. One is uh, profit uh, driving motivation. Right. Changing people's behavior. The climate change problem itself. Yeah. Right? Those are uh, those are related problems, but they are uh, well, they're issues in themselves. First of all, the profit maximization motive. Economists tend to think that anything that's advantageous can be viewed as can be viewed as a profit, even if it's known if it's not monetized. Okay. Uh, you might have benefits or costs in which you don't put money on it, but there is still economic or uh, costs or benefits, and uh, they matter for individual decisions. And people, we tend to think, even though this is not always true, that we tend to think that people do behave as if they're trying to get the best, um, I mean, the best deal or the best possible achievement, regardless of what people consider that to be for themselves. Right. So if Can you give me involves, an example? Well, if, uh, if that involves altruism, uh, if I care about my daughter's achievement, yeah. uh, well, I'm going to put a lot of effort for her to uh, I myself want to put a lot of effort for her to achieve some, some goals, I don't know, learn how to read, for example, uh, or you know, doing the math lessons. This is not to my advantage uh, if I'm thinking Of course, uh, sleepless nights, yeah. stress, yeah. sure, okay. Yeah. But, if, but, if that, but that, uh, that's a payoff, and uh, I mean, I love her, so uh, I expect her to do well, and I'm willing to do that kind of investment. So that involves some altruism. And this is part of an economic calculation. So we think that people are always doing that kind of calculation. People are thinking about doing the best, given their objectives, they're trying to give you their best given the resources. So uh, profit maximization is one of these things. Uh, and uh, profit maximization specifically means firms are set. You have to hire people, you have to uh, uh, pay uh, uh, costs to, to, to invest into some, uh, some business. Uh, you, you pay rental prices and all of that, so there are costs involved, but you do want to have some benefits from that. And we typically think it's, well, you're investing money there, you expect to have some money back. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be, so I think that's very natural. It's very, very much to be expected in general from people's behavior. And so this is one thing. How that relates to uh, changing people's behavior in the face of climate change? Well, I don't think people are changing their behavior. So I agree that well, maybe if we have it's people behaving differently, outlook. yeah. So, <laughs> so if we expect people to change behavior as as the way to uh, uh, as a way to change climate patterns, well, that's just not going to happen. People are just going to keep doing what they do, and they're going to keep behaving the way uh, they find best for themselves. But so don't it's you important. think that? Um, so can I, yes, yes, of course. So just Sorry. to complete, so it's important that uh, uh, other sources would nudge people's behavior in different ways. So, for example, you might uh, impose penalties if people have in such a way. If people pollute too much, they should pay the cost they impose on others. Basically, that's one way of, uh, and that's what governments normally do. But there's already so much hue and cry about a carbon tax yeah. on mm -hmm. on our on our gas. You know, so people don't want to shell out a big buck. Exactly. Because you know? they don't want to cost, they don't want to spend more money. 
Exactly. But, so, but, but that's going to be necessary because we do emit, we do emit too much pollution. I mean, it's not just too much pollution. There's too much pollution. There's overfishing. There is too much trash. There is a very little recycling. There's too much carbon emissions. Too much uh, uh, well name of particulate matters. All of those things we just produce way too much on those. And uh, the way economists view this is that we produce way too much of this because it's cheap. You don't pay for them. So I am producing steel. Uh, I have to melt steel and burning for um, and burning fuel to do it and releasing a lot of pollutants into the atmosphere. Well, I get my money when I sell the steel. I pay the inputs, I pay labor, I pay people, I pay rental prices, and I pay everything else, but I don't pay for the pollution I'm producing. Right. And therefore, I'm producing too much of that because I'm not paying for it. So that's the idea of the carbon tax. You have got to stop paying it. Because once you need Yet research carbon, is showing that fossil fuel subsidies have increased once again after a drop in 2016. So Yes, which is bad. Which is bad, exactly. Yeah. So I feel like in order for uh you know behaviors of people to change it like it, does it have to be a top down um top down change does it have to does it have to come from the government do they have to impose policies first so that people uh people will have to follow suit you know no no nobody wants to spend more money everyone wants to make 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 more we are caught in a cycle of mindless consumption overconsumption, and overproduction and um the current system of society is one of hustling you know you have a you have one hustle you have a side hustle so you're constantly working 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 so you're obviously uh you know in an over hyper intensive uh economic system you know mm -hmm. and we're it, i feel like we're stuck in a vicious cycle where mindsets need, needs to change and that needs to happen alongside policy change that needs to happen alongside grassroots change that needs to happen alongside people getting angry that why aren't you doing something as simple as banning plastic you know mm -hmm. um it's if you have small societies it's easier to coordinate and solve these problems but let me give you the simplest example that came to my mind which is uh, overfishing 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 doesn't happen if you just have one person fishing. Because if that person overfishes, that person will have less fish tomorrow and therefore is going to have less profit tomorrow. But then if you have a, a number of fishermen uncoordinated, they go out into the ocean to fish, then, well, if I don't fish it now, the other guy's going to fish it. Right? So it's better off if I do it, because otherwise there will be no fish for me, perhaps even today. Or, well, less fish for me today, so I do it. And this uh, lack of coordination is what leads to overfishing and uh, fishery depletion. So that's what happened for Atlantic cod, Atlantic cod here in Canada was, I believe it's most likely the hugest, most dramatic example of uh, fish stock depletion. So you have got, so this is one, um, so environmental problems are uh, market failure problems. But when the markets work, when markets work, they do work well, and we should not mess with it, because it does uh, it does allocate resources very well, and it's the costliest well, way of doing it. Very but when well, it failure, when, and, when it fails, when it fails, then it's a big deal, 
it's a big problem, and then it might need intervention from some places. But right uh, now so, we are living mm -hmm. in a very free market economy. So very well means whoever has the, again, I keep going back to this, whoever has mm -hmm. the biggest buck to spend, mm -hmm. they're gonna get it. And if that means destroying the Amazon forest, then, and that makes your you know, GDP numbers go up or employment numbers go up, then, then, then it's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. um, but so there is, so just, just to mention this point, uh, if you look at what, uh, what economists do in academic jobs, we're almost all of us are looking and researching market failure problems. Because we do know, we do have even under some conditions, we know that when the market works, uh, it's really difficult to, to make it work better, to have a better way of allocating resources. It's really difficult. So that's what I mean by you don't mess up with that. But when it doesn't work, that's a huge problem. And but it's the not working in the Amazon any is one example. Well, yeah, it doesn't work in many, many important dimensions. So it doesn't work when you have uh, monopolist power, when you have uh, differences in information sets among agencies, and they take advantage of that. Uh, it doesn't happen when you have environmental problems, the provision of good public goods, such as, uh, for example, education. Yeah, so there are many, many problems out there. And, well, I can say that's what gives us a job, because uh, there are many things we need to, uh, to fix. So we, need, we do need something like uh, a push from an outside, uh, which the natural uh, candidate for that would be the government. Now, that's not to mean, that doesn't mean to say that when you have a market failure, uh, the government is going to be able to necessarily improve the outcome. But Unless if, it's in their vested interest. Yeah, because the government has its own problems. But, they just want to come back to power. Yeah, the, yes, there would be incentives like that. But if sometimes when they want to, sometimes the way to come back to power might align with the interests of the rest of the society, and then it sure. works well. But it doesn't work like that always. So the government may help, and sometimes it may make, it may make things worse. I feel like... Even with the best of intentions. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I think I, I, I see what you're saying. I feel like... Uh, especially among the youth, climate change has become a very uh, important uh, agenda. And, mm -hmm. and, if, and, you know, like we're going into federal elections here in Canada soon. Mm -hmm. um, and if climate change is not a part of uh, a political party's agenda, then I feel like the youth feel disconnected from it. Mm. Um, having said that, what I want to ask you, though, is that it would be wrong, it would be too utopian for me to sit here and be like, oh, you know, we need to completely flip the capitalist system upside down because that's not going to happen. I mean, mm -hmm. we are so deeply entangled in it that, you know, we just can't wake up one day and tomorrow I will be living in a completely, uh, right. I, you know, I love my, I love thy neighbor and mm -hmm. we, let's all share, let's not mm -hmm. overproduce, overconsume, like that's not going to happen. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's no point I'll in even this. talking about that. Um, but <laughs> How can I, how can I, while living in the system, what can I, what can we do now? I think I want to, uh, there's so much out there already telling us that climate change is happening. I think what, it is. what, it's what, pretty, what, it's pretty clear. It's very clear, but I think what keeps people from moving yeah. is that they haven't experienced it. Sure, we, we hear of, you know, bushfires over there, uh, you know, floods over there and, you know, countries, people dying because of a heat wave. We hear about all of this, but 
it, but we're not experiencing like I'm not I'm not my knees not getting scraped mm -hmm. for me to put a bandaid on it so I think that yeah. that that that's not pushing people to move so I am living in this world it's not going to change anytime soon I think we need to like what are some practical things that everybody can do to to change to make some change happen right so let me start with the uh, with the bad news and then I can go Always. to the good news. <laughs> okay, um, let me get my tissues out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, climate change is probably the na nastiest problem ever. Because, well, many reasons. First of all, uh, emissions of a CO2 or a CO2 or other greenhouse gases uh, are, um, are produced in many, many different activities. So you have to pay attention to all of these activities. So it's just well, deforestation and putting uh, deforestation causes uh, carbon emissions, uh, driving uh, uh, airplanes, reducing electricity, I don't know, cooking, air conditioning, all of those things uh, result in, in uh, emissions of carbon. So we, we have to have policies directed of all, all of those different activities, and there are many, there are many of those. So that's one problem. A second problem is, is a global issue. It doesn't matter if you meet carbon here in Canada or in South Argentina or in China or Japan or uh, I don't know, Sweden. It doesn't matter. It, it's the same amount of carbon regardless. It has the same impact yeah. on uh, climate change. Air so doesn't know any boundaries. So local, yeah, so local pollution can be solved if you have a government that's willing. They might not be willing to, but if you have a government willing to attack a local pollutant problem, it can because it has the institutions and the power to, to, to do it. Now, a global problem requires coordination among different nations. And there is no supra government, supra international government that would be able to international agreements have failed so far. Which, so those are the bad news. Uh, if that's not enough, there is an additional one, which is, uh, it takes time. So but we've known about this problem for so long, you know. I know, it's the free ride problem. It, it's, I'm sorry, what? It's called the, it's the free rider free, problem. Right, right, right. Because for a nation, it's costly to reduce emissions, while the benefits is spread out among everybody. So if you, if you reduce your emissions, you pay the cost, I don't, and I am benefited. So I'm better off if you do it, and I don't. So the result of, of course, that is that no one does. That, that yeah. upcoming nations are saying, uh, developing nations rather are saying that you know the that Europe and North America emitted so many pollutants decades ago, and now mm -hmm. they are where they are. And now when countries like China and India are reaching are reaching higher levels of in industry and and growing economies now they're being asked to curb their growth because now everyone's waking up to the calamity of climate change that you know scientists right. uh started talking about back in the 80s yeah so yeah so well two things there one we don't have much choice we have got to curb emissions regardless it's it's unfortunate for developing countries well myself included i'm from brazil we have got to uh, to stop emitting. Uh, in Brazilian's case, in the Brazilian case, it's mostly deforestation. We have got to stop it. Now, on the other side, the other countries they uh, they uh, developed it. They become rich. They have developed many many uh, different uh, technology that allow them to become uh, 
richer. And uh, this is available to developing countries as well. So developing countries can adopt these technologies to catch up, and many of them are doing so, like China itself. And, uh, and uh, so we know from the example of the developed countries, we know how to, um, to increase the economy, to, to generate more growth. But now it doesn't matter we have got to reduce emissions because it affects everybody. And, uh, um, but how? Very... On, a, on a very individual level, what can I do to participate in creating change? Right. So this is the last thing I wanted to say about the bad news. It's given the size of the problem, no one individual can solve it individually. So, so how do we rally individuals to yeah. come together so go beyond first, our short-sighted vested interest. So the first thing for sure is to understand that it is a problem and it is a real problem. It's happening and it's happening now. So the latest estimates, as far as I can tell, is that by two, if business as usual goes, by uh, 2100, the climate, the average um, temperature would be three to five degrees Celsius uh, higher than it is today. So I have a three-year-old three year daughter. She's going to be 83, 84 at that time. So she's going to... Wow, you've really done the math it. there. Yeah, she's going she's gonna to feel it. Yeah. Right? She, so we don't feel it. She's going to feel it. And that's but one humans of the problems, are so right? short-sighted. Exactly. That's the problem because it's a generational problem. We will have got to take the costly actions to stop it. So that my daughter can benefit some critics yeah. will say oh but who cares you know i'm gonna die so yeah. the, the next generation can figure it out themselves yeah why, why should i care exactly that's a bad that's a bad uh that's a better way of looking at this for the next generations it's it's almost like well it's it is like an unsigned contract you care about the next generation the next generation cares about the following up generation and so on it should be like that, like we do with our kids. So first of all, awareness. We have got to understand that the problem exists and it's happening. Climate is really, really changing. And it's not just that the climate, the temperature is going up. There are many other uh, implications from having too much carbon on the atmosphere and the oceans, for example, uh, ocean acidification, which is a huge problem. Now we have got to understand that and scientists and economists, I would add, uh, they have got to communicate this better. I'm not sure if I'm communicating this better here today. I hope so. <laughs> I think I think you're I think you're uh, doing a great job. Uh, <laughs> there, uh, I just gave you a boost there. <laughs> so this is one. So the second thing is, it is as it involves uh, coordination, it's gonna have to uh, uh, governments. You have to step in, and you have to take actions. I think it's very unlikely. Things are going to happen if the governments don't do anything. And first, and, uh, and in addition, it's not like just Canada. Oh, Canada has a Canadian uh, carbon tax to be implemented. Uh, we have the European carbon market. Which but at is the same working. time, Canada is also one of the highest emitters of, of carbon dioxide. Still. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's but true. Eduardo, but but they're very. It's just very. We're way too far from what's need to be done. So of the course. US and China, they don't enter and they don't cooperate. Well, exactly. It's not going to happen. So China pressuring the China government is harder. But well, uh, you can in your day by day basis, on your day by day life, 
you can take actions that reduces the amount of carbon emissions, like you can use less electricity in a day-by-day basis. Uh, you might use less car um, uh, and things like that. Uh, you might cook a little bit less. You might you might care about uh, the sources of uh, uh, the sources of the appliances that have been used. How much more of emissions that would cost? Mostly electricity or or, for, or uh, combustion from you know driving cars and so on. So using bike. But this you're as an individual, if you're doing this or not, at the end of the day, unfortunately, it counts very little. Of course, if we all do it, then it counts a lot. I, 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 yeah. I want to just add something there. While I, I agree with you and I disagree with you, I think, I think what sometimes what demotivates people from doing things that can make a difference, like, I don't know, biking to work or taking your keep cup to buy your cup of coffee, mm -hmm. um, taking your cloth bags, you know, all these things matter. But when you, sometimes when I've sat down and had discussions with, with friends and colleagues and family that, you know, a lot of people will turn around and say, oh, but you know, how is this going to make it, make a difference? But I feel that's, that's a very demoted, demotivated place to, 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 to come from, because it's, if I do it, that's some change, some, some change is better than no change. And if I will do it today, tomorrow, somebody else will do it. And that together, then mm -hmm. hopefully 10 years down the line, we will have, you know, thousands of people living a sustainable life, you know, so yeah. I can, I can take my keep cup to buy a cup of coffee and feel like I'm not making a big difference, but I am regardless. Yeah. It's because that's one plastic cup less that's why I in the ocean. Yes, that's why I believe that uh, uh, it, it it has got to hurt on your on your wallet, on your conscience. Oh, oh, if it works on wallet. Your okay, yes. we're back to we're back but, to money. Yes, <laughs> when it hurts your wallet, then uh, you're more likely to change your behavior. Yeah, I do think fair that, enough. Uh, Unfortunately, so, this is mm -hmm. how we function. I do. If you if you start yeah. charging me a dollar for you know, for buying a cup of coffee and a paper cup, then I'll start bringing my own. If that's Sometimes what you're it saying. changes for the best. Sometimes even if it hurts you in your wallet at the beginning and then it stops, sometimes you change your behavior. So one thing that happened, let me give an example. One thing that happened in Brazil in 2000, perhaps 2001, <clears throat> was a huge uh, misplanning on the supply of, of electricity. So uh, you, we're going to have a huge blackout. And, and then the government said, well, you know, we have to consume less. And so it, put, it increased the prices substantially depending on uh, how much energy or how much electricity you'd consume. So it really worked. So it pushed consumption down substantially. But that was a temporary plan. Interestingly, people became more aware of the problem. And even when the program was uh, stopped, the, the amount of electricity consumed it, had, it has not reached the previous level, even today. So sometimes, I mean, you change habits. And you have these habits, you leave your uh, light uh, on, uh, even when you're not using it. But then all of a sudden, oh, no, it's super expensive. I have got to turn that off. Now it's not as expensive, but I have the habit of turning that off, so I keep doing it. So things like that, even temporary changes, can have permanent impacts on people's behavior. But I do believe that if you hit the wallet at the beginning and it's costly, then people change. And maybe you can take it out and people are still gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna reach to a new type of behavior 
and they're just going to keep doing it. Right. I think that goes back to um, what what you were saying earlier about um, you know let's while we're in the system let's use it to beat the system instead mm -hmm. of you know as as a as a citizen of of the planet some people will cringe when they hear this hear mm -hmm. me say this mm -hmm. I know they will be cringing citizen of the planet um, but yet we are. Um, and I've totally lost my train of thought there, but <laughs> but I've so gotten I've gotten uh -huh. the uh, the signal from my producer that we're coming to the end of time. Okay. Um, but what I do want to say before we wrap up is that I think yeah, I do too cringe um, when I hear you know journalists and ac academics and scientists and you know we all I, I've said this so many times in this podcast but we all know the catastrophe that is happening in real time. You know, I think we've spoken enough about climate change is happening and this, these are the ramifications of the earth getting warmer and whatnot. I think the time has sort of come to talk about real solutions. And I, and I know Eduardo, one of the things that you did say was that um, let's make sustainable solutions profitable and yes. let's make dirty uh, thing uh, and let's make um, uh, activities. Activities, dirty activities, un so unprofitable. Yes. You know, um, and just to wrap up, I think what I what I and I and I'm not sure if you agree with me here, but when I decided to change the way I work in mm -hmm. terms of making the personal political and making my life more sustainable, was that and I say this in the introduction of my podcast that it is a very freaky coincidence that the, that this planet as that we know of is the only one that sustains intelligent life, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that we know of. Yeah. Um, so just just the mere fact that we are here on this, you know, beautiful planet that, you know, condenses water and clouds and it rains and then we get that in our rivers and then, you know, I'm drinking it here in my plastic mm -hmm. cup. I hate to admit, <laughs> oh God, yeah. pictures will be up and I'm going to be, Tomatoes are gonna to be thrown at me. Um, what a hypocrite, Treya. Anyways, <laughs> um, you know, so so it is a it is a coincidence that we are alive here, and I think that should be enough to motivate people yeah. and governments to go beyond themselves to, yeah. to change. It's, a, it's you know, the small work, the small actions matter, and the big actions matter as well. Yes. So it's a large scale problem. So to not end with an, in a bad note. Let me Thank mention you. One, uh, one good thing. <laughs> so, uh, well, let me mention two good things. One is uh, the um, subsidies on a solar panel is working beautifully. So basically, uh, the German government has given a lot of subsidies to implement and adopt a solar panel. And uh, there was a push into the demand for solar panels that gives it, it make it more profitable. So lots of firms decided to invest in making solar panel more efficient, and that reduces the cost. It has been reducing the cost of solar panel over time. The cost is, I mean, the price of solar panel now has dropped by, I don't know, 70, 75% or so in oh, the wow. past, uh, maybe in the past 10 years. I don't remember the, the numbers exactly, but it's about that. So it's way more profitable. And all of a sudden, the subsidies made the solar panel become more competitive compared to coal burning. Mm -hmm. So if you combine that with, uh, let me go back to a carbon tax, it's more, it's less profitable to produce energy by 
but by uh, uh, burning coal, it's more profitable and more feasible to use a solar panel. So we're gonna make our electricity grid much more clean. So that's one good news. Uh, <laughs> yes. And the final good news is, uh, so my, my main, we didn't, talk, we didn't talk about that, but my main topic of research is deforestation in the Amazon. And uh, it's, it has been increased, the deforestation has increased a little bit in the past uh, two, three years. But thanks God, it has not been gone to the same level as it was 10 years ago. So the reduction of deforestation in the last 20 years has been something on the, on the size of uh, 25%, more or less. So huge decline over the last 20 years on deforestation rates. So uh, that, I, can, that I can is, talk about that, is, that for another Yes, that is time. definitely good news. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it would be, again, it would be wrong to say that there you know, it's it, we're living in a hopeless world. The future is hopeless. That's obviously not the case because, as we can see, young people, kids around the world, school kids around the world, are rallying for governments to to step up and do something. So that in itself is hope. Uh, mm -hmm. If we go on any longer, it may work in democratic countries. Exactly. On that note, if we go on any longer, our producer over here is gonna gonna kick us out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and on that. Positive note, Eduardo, thank you so much for joining me on my very new podcast. And let's hope that whoever uh, listens in will feel a little motivated to to change and do something in their own personal lives to, to stop climate change. Thanks for having me. I agree. Thank you. When you're ready to ride Metro, we want you to know we're ready for you. Here are just a few of the people at Metro to tell you how we're doing our part to keep riders safe. We're cleaning like never before, with hospital-grade cleaning. You'll find hand sanitizer stations all over the Metro. No mask, no Metro. Need one? We have a few extras. At Metro, we're doing our part to keep the D.C. area moving. Find out more at wmata.com slash doingourpart.